back to the Clemson Podcast. This is your host, Cody Fowler. I'm here with Ben Welty, who's made it back from a very flooded Charleston. Uh, good to have you back, Ben. Yeah, I'm uh, never going to complain about the drought out here in California again after experiencing the, uh, the five days I had back in South Carolina. You know, our, first off, our thoughts go out to everybody there. We know it's a really tough time. Um, there's been a ton of damage, just unprecedented flooding in the area. You know, it's funny, I, uh, uh, I was stuck with a buddy of mine who's a big Notre Dame fan, and the reason I went back was for a wedding, but our original plan was to actually go to the Notre Dame game, then this wedding popped up, and it was one that we just couldn't miss, and then of course this storm comes, I'm staying at his place, and uh, it floods, and we can't get out, and we don't even make it to the wedding, so we're sitting there that night watching the Clemson-Notre Dame game, looking at each other and be like... We should have just gone to the game, as it turns out. Um, so, but no, I'm really glad that, that most people are safe. And even if you've lost a bunch of stuff, just, you know, just with with the deaths that have happened there, just everybody should be happy that we've come out physically and, and health-wise in good shape. And, you know, good luck to everybody rebuilding. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, I mean, at least for you good that you got to watch the game and you know got to see the wedding all yeah. in one screen yeah no i mean it was it was i've never seen anything like that and you know it's it's easy at the time to kind of feel bad for yourself and think about what you could be doing and what you're missing because of all of it but then when you really take a step back and you see what everybody else is going through um and it really does kind of hit home because these are your neighbors these are your friends and your family i mean it was widespread damage. So I think for everybody there, even if it didn't affect you personally, it affected somebody close to you. So to really not think selfishly and think about everybody else, again, our thoughts go out to them. Yeah. And, and did the, you know, unfortunately the, the people that passed away in Columbia, uh, same, same there, you know, thoughts and prayers. Um, so yeah, let's, let's kind of jump into it. We've been going over, just kind of give an overview of our, of our beer selection I'm back on on the IPA train with a, a Lagunitas, but you brought something a little bit more uh, of a delicacy to the mix here. So I will say this: uh, we've been reading your comments on STS. I know, especially back east, you guys don't have the same access to really good IPAs that we do, and I understand people getting over the IPAs. And you've mentioned a lot of other good beers and different styles of beers. Um, that sure, yeah, I'd love to branch out and try them. So. I promise to do that next time. Uh, but this time, to end the IPA kind of love, um, today I got, for both me and Cody, uh, a Pliny the Elder. It's from Russian River Brewery. It's considered, uh, by most people, one of the top five, ten beers in the country. And it is the best beer, personally, that I have ever had. It's a double IPA, again, from Russian River. It doesn't make it far out, out from the west. They don't distribute much of it. They don't make a lot of it. Um, it's actually very hard to find in the city. Luckily, the corner store across from my house gets two cases every week. So I, I drop by. And got you get at least one case out of those two, right? No, it's a two-bottle two <laughs> limit. So, uh, but again, one of the best beers I ever had. They also make a Pliny the Younger, and they release it once a year in February during San Francisco Beer Week. And that is the best beer, I mean, that uh, you can't get regularly that I've ever had. Yeah, I, I've waited in line for like an hour for that beer once, and yeah, it it'll, it will change your life to some degree. 
And I agree with you. A lot of the guys, you know, they're, I guess they don't have the same IPA fix. They're on that same wagon that we are. But once you get home, you kick your legs back, back or kick your legs up after a long day of work. It's hard to be an IPA beer and it's hard to go to a, and a Hefeweizen, and maybe my, my palate is all screwed up because of the, the heavy hops. That's probably what it is, but I can't go back to like a Hefeweizen after drinking IPA. Well, and that's the thing with, with the Pliny the Elder. It's, it's not, I mean, it's hoppy, but it has so many more complex flavors than that. I mean, again, if you ever get a chance to try it, it'll be one of the best beers you've ever had. Now, to counter that, because everything tastes like crap after you drink a Pliny, um, we just got one bottle we popped open. I brought some PBR to finish it off. Yeah, that sounds absolutely horrible. <laughs> and no matter what you drink first, that sounds horrible. Um, so jumping into, by the way, we're gonna. this is the Georgia Tech preview, and we're going to be talking, doing a little bit of uh, like showcasing you know, how their season's gone, what, what we can expect from the game this weekend, lots of chop blocks, uh, lots of triple optioning. Um, but Still want to like. I think it's worth talking a little bit about the Notre Dame game. It, we're still riding that wave. It's it, it was such a great game, and and you weren't on our last show, Ben. So it'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts from the game. Well, it was a landmark win, absolutely. And I want to first say I'm really proud of the team. I do have some complaints about uh, some of the play calling and how all that went down. But those guys went out there and they played their hearts out and they stuck in there to the very end and they won that game. And, I mean, couldn't be prouder of those guys. This is a different type of Clemson team. This is a different uh, type of Clemson player. And it all starts at the top with, with Coach Dabo Swinney. And, I mean, couldn't be more proud of them. Also, the fan base that showed up for that game, so many people were doubting whether or not in that driving rain if the stadium would be full, if we would be loud as we normally are. I think we fell like a decibel or two short of the Miami game back in the late 2000s. Um, yeah, really proud of the fan base. It's great to see such a strong contingent uh, from, Clem- from Clemson, especially when we have game day. We represent ourselves so well. So for all of you that made it, kudos to you. Great job. You made all of us proud. and You made us look really good. We expect that from ourselves, and now we're showing everybody. Yeah, and our normal hosts – the podcast on you know, Nick Tolley was there and he said it was like a, just a, like there was a mystique uh, within the stadium. And that's what you heard from like post game interviews. There was something special. And like, I know, I know he spent a pretty penny going to that game, but like it almost makes me wish I would have done the same. Yeah. And uh, so the only complaint I have with the fan base, everybody get a cheap orange poncho. I'm tired of seeing games in the rain of having splotches <laughs> of like yellow and black. And, Lots of yellow. And stuff like that in the stands. Get an orange poncho or orange coat. Um, so, going back to kind of, uh, we were talking about people complaining about certain aspects of the game, and, and certain people would be like, man, we should just appreciate the win, right? You know, this is a huge game. This is a game against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, we should just be happy to win it. I don't feel that way. I don't think we should any longer be just happy to win games. I think we expect to win these big games. I mean, we read off the list of teams that we've beaten uh, recently, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU. I mean, we're at a point where, you know, these big teams come to our house, especially when they come to Death Valley. We're not just happy to win them. We expect to win these games. And I think that's part of the culture of the program and the change. So I think it's okay when we do – get out to a big lead and then kind of let a team get back into it that maybe we're not just happy to, to, to eat by and win. 
we expect to win these games, but I think that's okay because the, the program has changed. I think that's what Dabble would want because he expects um, us to be elite, and I think we're very, very close to that. Well, this was, and this wasn't a game where we were scrapping and calling and coming from behind. We were up 21-3. to Our defense had completely dominated the entire game. We were head and shoulders above Notre Dame, and we were – it felt like we were at least two or three touchdowns better than them. And, you know, we can we talked about it a little bit. We don't have to rehash it. But they came back because we were, you know, very conservative on, you know, play calling. And, you know, maybe rightfully so. There was rain. The elements were a factor. So, I mean, how much do you really want to push the issue? There was an interception there. It's like, eh, we're going to put our we're going to put our foot on the brake. We're going to, you know, step off the gas. But I, I wish they would have just beat them by you know three, four touchdowns, and it would have they could have went going away. Yeah, I think whereas last year the defense could really carry the team, we really do need the offense this year to to help them out because we're not as deep. Remember, yes, we have an elite defense this year. But we have an elite starting eleven, and remember, most of those guys were the two deep last year. We don't have that same depth this year, so we really need the offense to step up and play better to really help them out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's weird how Deshaun Watson, like we thought he would be the end-all, be-all, like he was more or less last year. And I'm not saying like we're in good shape if he were to go down, but – and I, I don't even want to think, you know, have that thought really pushed across the uh, the podcast right now. But in the case that he were to go down, we have a very strong defense. And it, if someone had to spell him for like half a game or something like that, you know, we could beat the Georgia Tech, maybe the Georgia Techs, the Miamis of the world. Well, I think we're not even throwing the ball that well. Exactly. So let, let's say you bring in somebody like Kelly Bryant and just run the ball because that's working well enough for us. We're not going to miss a passing game right now because we really haven't developed that, especially with Mike Williams being gone. Uh, so I, I will, I'll say this. I think we all feel a lot better about Deshaun Watson and him getting hurt having uh, seen us play now four games this year. We're getting more comfortable with him being in the pocket and taking off and running. It's really great to see that. It's funny. I feel like we're not playing well right now, though. And yet, we're so good. Like, we're really good at not living up to our potential. This is a completely different Clemson team. I am I'm just kind of just I'm exuberant. I'm happy and ecstatic about it. Um, to be able to say, we're not playing well, and we're still really good. It, it kind of mirrors, and I don't want to, this maybe not be, might not be the best example, but it kind of mirrors the early days of like 2011 of the Chad Morris era, where we were just clicking on all cylinders on offense but our defense was so poor that we just felt like we, we, we would never get there well now the kind of the inverse to some degree is true in that our defense is completely dominating the game whereas our offense is not nowhere near as bad as our defense was back right. then but we know that with the pieces are there for the offense so there's reason reasons for optimism that, that we could actually get to that point you know where we could actually be a contender and hit you know make it to the playoff and and actually make some noise and not just be a one-and-out, you know, Ohio State blowout game. Right. Um, we're not as good on defense this year as we, we were last year, uh, but we're all we're still very, very good. And we're better on offense than we were last year. So it's kind of balancing out. And I guess I won't say that we're not playing well. We're not playing up to our full potential. And, and Dabo has said this himself. We haven't played our best football yet, which is scary because when I look around the country – there's not a lot of other teams really blowing people out of, out of the water. Maybe Baylor, Alabama, the Ole Miss game aside, but that's about it. I'm not scared of anybody. No, I think you're right. It's There's no one that 
this could be a year you you want to still it with uh, you know you don't have to be a juggernaut like you know the, I guess you could say uh, Florida State a couple of years ago um, the, those Alabama teams you know there's no one in the mix like like that at least not right now I think I feel like Ohio State has a has a second gear that or maybe a, a gear that no one else has and they haven't really displayed that on a week to week basis maybe it's championship hangover maybe there's some other things going on regardless. There's no team that's yet. No, no team's really popping out right now. So with that in mind, like let's look at. We're gonna do a little little recap of the of the week. Uh, we did we did a little bit on our last uh, podcast episode, but I look at you know first thinking about the Big Ten. You have number one and number two. Well, Michigan State was number two. They're, they've fallen down a bit. What I mean, what is going on? They're squeaking out games against the you know India Indiana powerhouses. Uh, IU and Purdue. Oh, man, if this was the SEC, we'd be saying that's just because top to bottom, that's how good the SEC is. But no, this is the Big Ten. Um, you, don't get, you don't get credit for beating the bottom dwellers in the Big Ten. Yeah, exactly. Listen, Rightfully if, so. if, if Ohio State is really the number one team in the country, they have no business uh, beating Indiana by seven points. If Michigan State, they did drop. If they were really the number two team in the country, even really worthy of top ten maybe, they wouldn't have beaten Purdue by only three points. Okay, yeah, Michigan State beat Oregon, but how good is Oregon? Not very good. They're not even ranked right now. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens in the Big Ten. It's a conference that does is very top-heavy with one or two teams and still with the competition they play. I still don't even know how they ended up – Ohio State ended up winning the national championship last year because uh, Ohio State did not really – blow anybody out of the water. It didn't blow me away last year. I I really put it all on Urban Meyer because those quarterbacks, Cardell Jones and uh, JT Barrett, they haven't looked great this year. Well, I have a theory from last year's playoff, and it's it kind of coincides a little bit with this year, and that's there. last year there was no great team either, and that Florida State was not that good, and they got blown out. I mean, they, they shouldn't have been in the playoff, but they were undefeated. Uh, they got blown out by Oregon. Oregon wasn't that good. They had a horrendous defense. The only team that really, the two teams that were really good were Ohio State and Alabama. And Alabama might have, might have even been the best team, but Ohio State. On any, on any given day. On any, on, yeah, exactly. I kind of think that was what if, happened if there. If you're even close in talent level in college football, yeah, it so, can happen. So as that trickles into this year, you bring in that Ohio State team that were like, wow, this is you know the, the first – Unanimous number one team. All the all the pollsters voted for them. Well, now they're like barely getting by, kind of like Florida State did last year. So uh, I think there's a lot of parity. There's more parity. The number one team and the number, I guess you could say, probably ten team. There's not a whole lot of difference there. No, absolutely not. And, and it, it's great to see us move up into the mix, and we'll get to polls here in a second. But there's not. There's one or two. Actually, no team scares me. I think we can play against any team in the country. I think one or two teams. Probably, you know, more than five out of ten times would beat us right now. But we still have room for improvement, so we'll see how it goes. Enough about the Big Ten. There's, the Big Ten is not deserving of us talking about them that long. So let's move <laughs> on to another conference that is probably also not deserving of us uh, talking about them that long. Uh, number 25, at that point, Florida goes uh, and kills, crushes Ole Miss 38-10. to 10. And here's another case of, uh, you know, Ole Miss beats Alabama and just flies up in the polls and Florida comes in and beats them. And what, what do they do? Fly up in the polls. So you can, you can win or lose your way up in the, the SEC. That's yeah. the only conference you can get that kind of leapfrog yeah. type effect. 
So maybe we should stop complaining about it. We'll see how it shakes out at the end of the year. Uh, because clearly all these teams aren't going to end up going, well, heck, right now, there's none in the top six in the uh, in the AP poll. Which is surprising. Now the, the uh, five teams in the next 11, four out of five of them are in the SEC. Uh, but, we'll, again, the season will just have to play out with see how it goes. Um, Florida State barely beat Wake Forest. They are not looking like they're a tough team. Our really schedule for the rest of the year is looking very pedestrian. Yeah, I mean, think about what that means for us. We've we've beaten Notre Dame, and now we have to be Notre Dame's biggest fan because that could be the only significant win that we have the rest of the year. And, I mean, we still hope Florida State can pull it together, you know, and probably hope maybe even win out in the ACC, and they'll they'll be, you know, probably teetering around top 10. And that'll look good for the resume, but that might be the only other other game where we can actually consider a resume builder. And, you know, that's going to – I'll you know go to the you know to the final four and that you know that selection committee. That's all we're going to have on you know the notches on our belt. Notre Dame, maybe Florida State. Well, here's the thing about Florida State. Yeah, they don't look really good right now. They've been playing some close games against inferior opponents. If they keep winning, their only loss uh, is to us, and they're able to beat Florida the last game of the year. That's going to look like a really, really, really quality win. That's a great point. I didn't, even, I didn't even consider that, but and now you have Florida, who did that the you know kind of the seesaw effect after they beat Ole Miss, you know powerhouse Ole Miss, um, and all of a sudden they're ranked number eleven from twenty five to eleven, and I mean it, it's it's unbelievable. And so I think Tully was saying that even one poll said that they they might be the, the number one team in the nation. I mean, really? Like, I think that I can't even. I don't have the, the stats up, but they squeaked out a couple of their first games. I think you know, the, one of them was beating Tennessee, who doesn't look very good at all, coming from behind to beat them. I mean, it, well, I could I could see Florida going undefeated. I mean, they've got at LSU uh, coming up here in a couple weeks, but outside of that, they've got Georgia, and we've seen their vulnerabilities, and then uh, Florida State at home. Other than that, they got the weaklings of the SEC in Mizzou, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and then they got a, I think a Florida A and M on their schedule. Florida can go undefeated. That's yeah. We don't want to after having played New Mexico State, East Carolina, uh, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Mizzou, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Florida A and M. Yeah, that's a really really tough SEC in conference and out of conference schedule, isn't it? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Dude, we could we could bitch and moan about the SEC and their poll position all night long, but let's think about like Clemson. So we're we're number six in the polls, which I think we should be ahead of Michigan State. Um, maybe I don't know Baylor and TCU. I can I'll respect that, but maybe at least number five. I think ahead of Michigan State. Um, what, what does this mean? I mean, I, I think we control our own destiny. We talked about this a little bit, but. At the same time, you got to keep pushing forward. I think we need to put up some style points. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, absolutely. You guys, uh, you mentioned in the last uh, podcast episode that, you know, how I always talk about the teams ahead of us needing them to lose for us to move up. But now we're at a point where we have like teams like two teams from the Big Ten and two teams from the Big 12 standing our way. They're going to play each other. So naturally, there's going to be a loss from one of those teams that are going to drop behind us. And I get that. I, I do. But I don't want to leave anything of, of the chance or fate. Because let's think about this. Let's say Ohio State beats Michigan State. And then 
uh, Baylor beats TCU's, and both those teams go undefeated. So all of a sudden, there's the Big 12 and the Big 10 uh, with undefeated teams. And then you have Utah, who has a, who's played very well this year, and they could very well go undefeated this year from the Pac-12. They go undefeated. And then you have a one-loss and maybe even an undefeated Florida team that wins the SEC. We're looking at possible undefeated teams from the other top uh, uh, four other you know big five conferences. If you put that up against Clemson in an undefeated schedule coming out of the ACC, how do we all feel going into that with five undefeated teams from the Power Five conferences? What do we think Clemson's chances are of getting into the playoff? I think if you ask any Clemson fan, knowing how our conspiracy theories and and and, and everything like that. Uh, how we think that's going to shake out? Well, it's it's very interesting, like to ponder that, and, and but it is important. Well, for one, let's look at Utah, who if, if they complete the year undefeated, they had probably the best win, at least what we thought was the best win, beating Oregon, like completely blowing them out in, at Oregon. Now they would to complete their schedule, they'd still have to beat USC, beat Stanford, and if they, or I think, or maybe it's uh, USC and UCLA. Those are two big wins. I don't know if they can do it, but if they do, I think they, you know, at least on the body of work, would probably be more deserving than Clemson, uh, you know, and that's that's all. It, well, completely different body of bodies of work, so it's different. But you talk about Florida for one. Now that Ole Miss and Alabama have lost, I don't think any other team, maybe LSU. Could go undefeated in the SEC though, because that does, I mean, especially from the SEC East, where you're talking about Florida, who, yeah, they're going to come across Georgia, uh, they're going to come across a few other teams, but they don't have to play an Alabama or an LSU in the SEC championship game. You really think they could? I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're that good, they're at that level. Oh, and maybe they're not, but uh, let's let's think of it this way. Let's say there's a Pac-12, a Big 12, a Big 10, and an ACC team that's undefeated and wins their conference championship, Big 12 aside, but not having the championship game. And then there's a one-loss ACC, uh, SEC team, sorry, and that's, let's say, Alabama or LSU wins the conference championship. You think the SEC gets left out of the college football playoff in the second year? So you're, all the hype surrounding well, you, them? So what you're saying is a scenario where Alabama, you know, the – Probably the like the figurehead of SEC lore right now, um, with one loss and probably the you know the, the best team in the SEC and probably deserving a playoff team by that point. But one loss versus like a Clemson or a Utah, <laughs> I think Clemson would squeak in. I don't like I don't know if Utah would. Someone would. I feel like they would get in. Uh, someone like someone would lose out. It would be it be you know, you know what Colin Cowherd once said, and everyone hates Colin Cowherd. I like him. He said, the more people you invite to the party, the more people that are upset because they don't get invited to the party. Well, here we go. Uh, at that point, Utah will have beaten at the time number 13, Oregon, number 23, Cal, number 17, USC, number 20, UCLA, and then Stanford in a Pac-12 championship game. How does that stack up against our wins on our schedule, ranking-wise? It does. We, we don't. So yeah. I guess what I'm saying about this is, is I understand that the Big Ten is going to play each other in the pack. Uh, uh, the Big Twelve is going to play each other with these teams ahead of us, and one of those teams is going to lose. We can't just settle for that because we don't want to be sitting on the precipice. We don't want to be that number four team. We don't want to be that bubble team getting in the playoff. We will feel a lot safer with that number one team. So we need to continue to see these teams ahead of us lose. They need to continue to lose, and they need to rack up multiple losses. You're right. We, we're not only rooting for them to lose. Like that is an important point. We want all SEC teams to have a one by their 
win loss on their on their loss column. At the very least, we want to be one of three undefeated teams. Yeah, not one of four, not and one of five. Definitely not one of five. And it goes down like everyone hates this. Like we still feel like there is an element of control your own destiny, and for the most part, there is. But you really want to control your own destiny. You not only win, but when you play the Miamis, the NC States, hopefully the South Carolinas, you win. You cover the spread. You put up some style points. You let people know. And that's not about like – it's not something you have control of. Everyone thinks like you just – you know, you, um, you're better than a team. You can, you can win by as much as you want to. That's not the case. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, that's more of a result or factor of just like the way we saw in the, in the Notre Dame game. Being aggressive on on offense, yeah. If you, are you winning by two touchdowns? Well, play it to the, the the fourth quarter and keep being aggressive. Keep and we got to have that mindset built into the rest of the season. What's what's win going away? Not win, not not doing enough just to win because that will that's not necessarily not necessarily a recipe to get into the playoff. You know what would also help is if we have a Heisman contender in Deshaun Watson because that chatter alone and the exposure, um, publicity. Would certainly help. However, I think he's a little step back right now from that, and really needs to come on strong first for to get in that conversation. However, don't discount that uh, from being part of the equation. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. It's just like the they're saying that Notre Dame could be in the equation, really more or less, just because they have Notre Dame across their chest. And, you know, they do have a pretty strong schedule, but they could still be in. But they said if, you know, Clemson were to lose the Notre Dame game, they were out. But let me tell you this. The best player on offense up to this point has been Wayne Gallman. And he he would be my Heisman can, uh, candidate from the offense. I would take Ben Boware, Shaq Lawson, and Mackenzie Alexander, maybe J. Ron Curse on defense as our MVPs. But in terms of Heisman consideration, <laughs> Wayne Gallman's the guy right now. And I'm the guy that was the biggest hater. Yeah, the Wayne train is not going to overtake Fournette this year. I'm sorry. <laughs> if there's going to be a running back, it's, it's not going to be Wayne. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> However, he has done fantastic and I just love what he's done this year. Um, okay. So. Georgia Tech. Yeah, let's get talking about Georgia Tech. That's the PBR right there, folks. That's disgusting, Ben. Um, it's disgusting. So who would have thought coming into this season there was a lot of hype about Georgia Tech um, being one of the toughest games on our schedule. I know that when we pegged them as one of our possible losses. And, you know, when they played Notre Dame, we thought that was going to be a big test for Notre Dame. That doesn't turn out really be the case. Georgia Tech, 2-3 and three on the season. They're 0-2 in, the uh, in the ACC, but that also includes a loss to Notre Dame. They've lost their last three. Talk about a wounded animal. Like the same way we did against Louisville, Georgia Tech not looking good coming into this game. Yeah, I mean we they lost to North Carolina, they lost to Duke, powerhouse North Carolina schools. You know those blue bloods, but we're not talking about basketball. We lost to South Carolina. Yeah, we're talking about football, and we know we know that these are you know at least North Carolina. You shouldn't be losing to North Carolina. And what is what is crazy is we were orienting orienting our season so much to Georgia Tech because. We're like, oh, Notre Dame, they're always overrated. You know, we'll, we'll beat them at home. But then it'll come down to Georgia Tech, and that'll be like that that peak of the season. Can we get past that? And then, you know, the the Louisville, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech stretch that we talked about so much. And it feels like, I mean, we, we should win this game. It would be it would be, yeah. a, it would be a Clemsoning. I hate to use that word. It would be that if we lost this game. Well, I call it Georgia-ing now. Um, <laughs> 
But, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Georgia Tech coming into the season, uh, being the game right after Notre Dame, especially then it becoming game day in the slop, uh, that looked like it could definitely be a loss having to turn around that quickly after, you know, uh, playing the Irish. But now I'm not scared at all. Not worried at all about them. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've lost their two, uh, top two wide receivers from last year and nearly their entire backfield. But the way we kind of think about uh, Paul Johnson's system is that they, they plug guys in and it keeps rolling, right? Like a well-oiled machine. It's like the Wii Too Deep triple option version. Yeah. Next man up. Um, but that's not true. So coming in this year, the, the difference was that they had Justin Thomas. You know, we're like, wow, now they have actually a really good quarterback. And that's a difference maker in Paul Johnson's system. And as it turned out to be the case, I mean – the triple option has never scared me less, knowing what I know about Georgia Tech right now. Well, knowing what you know about our interior line play, too, yeah. and how, you know, we, yeah, we couldn't get a pass rush, but that's not such an issue against Georgia Tech. Like, talk about Carlos Watkins, Christian Wilkins, Scott Pagano, a defensive tackle, uh, the, the effect that Shaq Lawson's had on every defense. Um, and then, obviously, Kevin Dodd, the other guy on the, at, the, at the weak side of, or strong side defensive end. We match up really well against the triple option. If that's what you're bringing, you better bring it really well, and they're not. Yeah. Well, we've mentioned this before. You know, we played Wofford the first game of the year, and they don't run the exact same system uh, inside of the triple option, but it's similar enough to where it's really good practice, especially for young guys uh, to get in there and get, and get used to playing against the, this type of uh, offense. Um, so that's going to be beneficial. Uh, one thing that I would be worried about, even though we have a great starting 11, is the defenses look tired at the end of games in the, in the past two against Louisville and Notre Dame. So, again, an uh, uh, offense like the triple option that's really grinded out, they like to stay on the field a long time, does that become a factor? In this game, particularly, I don't think it does because I haven't seen a lot out of Georgia Tech that, that scares me. I mean, they're really lacking in a lot of areas and a lot of effective uh, they don't have the same effectiveness that they usually do. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want to like overlook Georgia Tech at all, but I, this would be a great game if we can establish some type of lead to get some young guys in, particularly at linebacker, where we're we're pretty much playing our first team guys the whole game, and it would just be good not not only just to give some guys a little bit of rest and hopefully le- eliminate the risk of injury, but just to uh, allow to you know allow a few guys that are kind of second third on the depth chart to get some experience because we might need that later on you know down the road, um, particularly or specifically a linebacker. Right. It, I mean, really at all positions on the defense, but um, but yeah, that, I, I hope that kind of holds true. Well, this is a game that's really going to test the the front seven, and yeah, I think uh, getting guys in there and getting some experience and being able to spell these first teamers is going to be big. Let's talk about uh, some of the, the actual players here for Georgia Tech um, and explain a little bit more of the type of the offense. We'll talk about Justin Thomas, the quarterback. Uh, he is a very talented guy. He's put up very mediocre uh, stats this year. Um, and I think part of that has to do with uh, um, the, the guys around him not really getting the support. He can run. He can throw. He hasn't had a lot of time. Blocking's been poor. Uh, so I think that's been an issue. Um so they have kind of two types of backs uh, in this in this offense. You got the A back, which is kind of more like the tailback in a typical offensive system, and then the B back, which is more like your fullback. Georgia Tech's got decent production out of their A backs this year, and uh, Clinton, uh, 
Lynch and Isaiah Willis. Uh, however, the blocking on the perimeter has just kind of been an issue, and this is kind of a theme throughout the entire Georgia Tech offense, but it's not just blocking from these, these A-backs, uh, and we'll talk about later, it's the wide receivers in the offensive line. Uh, more importantly, I think it's been much more of a detriment to their uh, to their offense and hinder their success is the B-backs have been a really dis- a big disappointment for them. Um, when effective in this type of system, it doesn't give the opposing defense a break. These are the guys that are running up the middle and consistently get these you know four or five-yard runs and get the offense in a position to have third short. That hasn't been happening this year. They've had a lot of third and longs, and this is the type of offense that doesn't thrive in third and longs. It's just not effective. Yeah, what, what's interesting is you know, Quack and Tiger was on the show a couple of days ago and was talking about our one limitation at the linebacker position is sideline side to sideline speed, um, which in terms of this game, what really matters is how, you know, really it plays so much to Ben Bullware and B.J. Goodson's strength. They can just go in like they're like the wrecking ball, wrecking balls that they are, and just blow everything up. And it, it, it bodes so well; it, it suits their strengths so much. And you know what's interesting is, remember, like what five years ago, maybe four years ago, um, the end of the Kevin Still days, where we had these guys that looked like they were the size of DBs. They ran like linebackers. There were those were the guys going after these Georgia Tech, going after the Georgia Tech triple option. They couldn't hold their assignment. They couldn't stay on their on their guy, and they couldn't and they couldn't make tackles. And I feel like it's going to be fun to watch Ben Bulware and BJ Goodson going in and just blowing up whoever has the ball or who doesn't have the ball. So I do have this warning though. I think that they they need to let they need to be a little bit patient and let plays develop before attacking. Um, you know, it, it, Ben Bulware is almost like a cartoon sometimes. I love seeing him coming in like a like a freaking cannonball from the linebacker position, but sometimes he just like completely comes through the line <laughs> and misses the play and like goes flying 10 yards behind the, behind the ball carrier. And it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, I love seeing his tenacity and him busting through like that and his disruptiveness, whether or not he actually makes the tackle or gets a hand on the guy, it really has a huge effect on an opposing team's running game. Um, I think here he's going to need to be a little bit more patient and wait for a play to develop before you know before attacking, and I think that's going to be a, a huge point, something to watch for. Because if we have guys uh, you know attacking too early and, and missing the tackle, that's when Georgia Tech can really start to break open big plays. Yeah, and I think maybe we should you know kind of take a step away from their offense. Um, the only other thing, actually, let me add one more thing, and that is how they're using Jaron Curse as like that added linebacker. Well, you know, we do the nickel Sam. We do have Dorno Daniel uh, who can also play the Sam, but we're using uh, Jaron Curse kind of that nickel Sam scenario cuz he he can, like we said earlier, he can play defensive end, he can play any any right. position on defense. And then they're throwing like Jadar Johnson on the back end. So it'll be interesting how they use like some stunts. Uh, how Brent Vittables will throw, you know, bring the house. Um, probably with Jaron Curse, probably with uh, maybe some corner blitzes. We, we might see some crazy things. Yeah, I, I, you're going to see them really uh, uh, trust our secondary or our corners in uh, uh, Mackenzie Alexander and Tankersley. They're going to be on their own. I think they're going to bring Kirsten uh, Green up and really bring some pressure. Um, their wide receivers, again, their block on the perimeter has been an issue. So I think when you bring those guys up and get them in there, uh, they have serviceable, serviceable wide receivers, but they're nothing that our, our that Mac and Tank can't handle. Um 
One thing real quick about the running back, because this is kind of a wild card. Uh, they have Marcus Marshall. He's a young guy. I think he's a freshman. I don't think he got a, uh, a carry in the North Carolina game, uh, but he could be thrown into the mix here. He really adds an element of explosiveness that this uh, at the B-back that the offense has really been missing. Um, we do need to limit Georgia Tech's uh, big plays, but it's not necessarily what they thrive on. They really want long, drawn-out drives to wear down a defense. If he does play because he can be dynamic, I think it's, he's one of their running backs of the future. He's a young guy, great turnovers, and I think we're really able to uh, mitigate him as a factor. Well, I think I think Ben Bulware, B.J. Goodson, Christian Wilkins, Shaq Lawson are going to give him a nice welcome into Death Valley. And uh, and the ACC, this uh, I I think the one thing one of our strengths for one not just the interior line but just against any type of run um, offense running offense uh, we can mitigate that. You, you got to take you got to be very dynamic as an offense, and if you're going to stay one dimensional, uh, we know you're going to run. Everyone everyone in the in the in Death Valley knows you're going to run. We're, we can we can take that away from you. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, he, I think he's the wild card in this game we don't know that he's going to play a lot or be a factor but he could be a guy that paul johnson's seen enough they're two and three get the young guy in there and see what he can do yeah no I, we'll see I, I, I hope not to see too too good of anything because you know another three years of uh you know a really good georgia georgia tech running back would be kind of scary our defense is going to keep rebuilding i'm not too worried about that again we were talking about these as possible issues that come up in the game really at the end of the day i think we both feel very comfortable about how our defense is going to perform yeah, well, let's talk about their defense, Ben. You've done some research. Um, what do you? Uh, what have you read? So here's the thing: if their offense is not going to produce at a level that they're used to, uh, then their defense is really going to need to step up. I don't think they're capable of that. Um, you know, uh, their last game against North Carolina, uh, North Carolina's quarterback Marquise Williams led the team in passing, rushing, and receiving yards. I don't know how the hell you do that. I don't know if he's throwing the ball to himself. <laughs> what does that mean? I got. What does that mean for Deshaun Watson? I mean, <laughs> I see Watson uh, leading passing, rushing, and kicking and receiving. Um, so, yeah, I mean, their D line, their D line has not been dominant all year. They really don't have any depth there, uh, and they really struggle to get a rush from their front four. Um, one of their their best D linemen, Adam, uh, I think it's. Godsis uh, was ejected in the game against UNC, and there was a huge drop-off after that. Um, so for our offense, concerning their defensive line, I think our offense really needs to, the offensive line needs to continue to improve and really move the ball and uh, uh, help match and win the time of possession to keep the, their defense off the field. And I think we're very capable of doing that, especially with the progression that we've seen from our offensive line this year. So their defensive line I don't see as being a challenge to us. Yeah, I mean, and you guess you'll see the first test. Um, how can we can we establish a run game? You know, it's been that's been a thing, but also not having a pass rush. Can are we finally going to get? Are we going to give Deshaun Watson a little bit of time? I mean, how, how's that going to look? What are you reading from their like their secondary and coverage? Um, they've got a decent secondary. Um, they didn't do well against Notre Dame, whereas ours did. So if you're using that as a barometer. You know, and, and trying to try to figure out what's great and what's average. We're great; they're average in the secondary, and they're not going to be the best secondary we've seen all year. So, I think this is an opportunity where we can really have a wide receiver step up uh, as a deep threat. I know Peak has struggled. I know 
He's had issues uh, with a couple interceptions where he hasn't really gone up and attacked the ball. And a lot of people are thinking, okay, his time is over. Let's give someone else a chance. I still think Pete can develop into that. You know, he's had to go in and fill a role uh, for a guy, Mike Williams, who's the best receiver on the team, could be a first-round draft pick next year, uh, had that possibility. Let's remember this. Peak has had a lot of injuries that he's dealt with. He hasn't had a lot of playing time on the field. Yeah, he has all the talent in the world, but he still may need to develop. And there's still eight games left on the regular season schedule for that to happen. So I would not count him out just yet. I mean, that's fair. I, my, my argument was to Tully was he's been there. This is his fifth year. Like if you haven't gotten that aggressive killer instinct as a wide receiver, kind of like Mike Williams or Tavis Scott, New Hopkins, where they aggressively attack the ball. He's been injured, though. I mean, but what is the, I mean, play the time. I, I mean, maybe he doesn't trust his knee still to go up and attack. And maybe, I, maybe it is instinct. I don't know. I mean, you could be right. I, I think it's like it goes to ball skills, and some guys have it, kind of like like in basketball, like some like you know the flow of the game, you, you, or you don't. And like, I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. You're right. I mean, in you're, you're saying like the alternative, and I, probably the way the coaching staff is looking at it is you try Beyond Thompson or Deion Kane or true freshman, or, or you know, one's a true freshman, one redshirt. Can they go in and, and be as good? I mean, they only have what, eight games left, like you said. Can they make? Can they be as good by the end of the year? I think it's I think it's worth taking the risk, quite frankly. Well, and I totally get what you're saying because let's say let's let's look at New Hopkins. I mean, he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but his ability to go up and high point the ball and his his hands were amazing. And he's going to be one of the best wide receivers to ever come out of Clemson playing the NFL. He's better than Sammy Watkins right now. He, <laughs> New Hopkins, that's a whole other story. He, he might be one of the best wide receivers for the next decade in the, in the league. Um, but, yeah, and, and the, key, the key ingredient there, the one thing that Nuke was, you know, the one thing, you know, because Sammy was off the charts and everything, the one way or the one area he was superior to, to Sammy was his ability just to do things like high point the ball. Right. And, His hands. and beat yeah. in tight spaces, beat the defender, and win every one of those matchups. And the NFL, where the margin of error is so much smaller, that he's perfect for that. And 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 I guess conversely, looking at what the, the Clemson team now, who is that guy? Is that Hunter Renfro? I mean, I think it is. It's Hunter Renfro. It's your guy. It's your boy. I doubted you, but it was not a bad. I, I, you know, what a welcome surprise. I mean, that ball where he almost caught on the sideline. And, you know, when I saw the replay, I think the argument could be made that he was out of bounds. But I don't even care about that. It's the effort and the wherewithal to be there and, and the, the skills and the reaction to be able to get that ball was absolutely amazing. And then he's made some big catches. You know, he's just a freshman, too. He's going to be a huge impact for us. Um, great to see him and very unlikely to see him step up and be He's going to play a large role uh, on this team at the wide receiver position this year. Yeah, in, in no way do I feel like, wow, we're having to rely on this possession receiver. And, like, I do not feel discounted whatsoever with Hunter Renfro. I feel like he is an asset. And the fact that he's a, just a redshirt freshman, he's going to be an asset for three more years after this. Like, oh, what a welcome surprise. He, I'm not going to call him Clemson Rudy anymore. That's, that's out the window. This guy is – he's good. Yeah, no, he absolutely is. Um, so I guess just kind of wrap up uh, the defensive overview for Georgia Tech. Um, you know, they're really going to rely, need to rely heavily on the blitz to be successful. But I think this is a, a you know, 
the, to counter that. Clemson's really going to control the tempo of the running game. Their linebackers have had trouble with missed tackles. So we get uh, Wayne Gallman into that, that second level of the defense that he could really bust some big plays. Um, and then that's going to open up the passing game. So, you know, this is not the best defense we've seen all year, and I think you may really start to see our offense flourish. And this could be a coming-out party for them. This could be the game uh, where we see Deshaun Watson really step onto the main stage and have a game that we really know that he's capable of. And I think it's going to be a continued dominance of the offensive line or and, and, and Wayne Gallman. Yeah, well, I won't say dominance, but we'll say, you know, Stellar play, you know, above average play. I think the way that they played against uh, Notre Dame, uh, this Georgia Tech front four is not the same. I, I really think you're going to see a great game out of the offensive line. There, McLean has played better than we thought he would this year. Jake Guillermo has stepped in and played fantastic. Joe Gordon has progressed a little bit. Mitch Hyatt, steady Eddie. Yeah, we don't even talk about him, right? Well, and that's good. You know why you don't talk about him? Because he's doing his job and doing as well as a true freshman. Uh, get some, get some good guys too. He's not playing. Yeah. You know, we're not playing. Uh, I don't know Eastern Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's not a good example. But yeah, no, the offensive line has been good. Um, I want to. I, I'm I'm interested to see, like you said, Wayne or uh, Wayne Gallman for one. I compare him to Le'Veon Bell. I don't know. I don't know if anyone listens or watches. Um, sorry, the, the Steelers. Um, he's just so good, and, and the, the little that you give him, he's got he's gained this. I don't know where it's come from. He's only his third year in the program. Last year was his first year playing. He looked really bad. He had horrible vision. He, his timing was bad. He's gained so much confidence. He's excelled so much, and in tight spaces, he's able to get extra yards like we haven't seen since I don't know, like Andre Ellington. I, I think he's our best running back since probably Andre Ellington. I can't, yeah. Well, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a perfect example of a diamond in the rough and uh, the guy with a chip on his shoulder. Um, and I'll say it again. I said it before. Uh, in the whole Robert Kimdiche, uh deal, I'd rather have Wayne than Kimdiche out of that. I think we benefit more from it, and I think we made off better. Well, that's – I mean, Todd Nixay. What do we need more right now, a defensive end or a running back? Yeah. I agree, but I'm saying Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper would disagree with you. Um, well, but good for them. Yeah, I and their mock we, drafts. I mean, he the mock is just the mock. That's what it is. It's the mock draft. Yeah, we, we do have Shaq Lawson. Kevin Dye looks good. We need a running back, and right now that's our guy. That's our only option. So yeah, I, I, I might agree. Like, just that we can even have that conversation. What three years later is is saying a lot. All right, so we're all aboard the Wayne train. We think you guys are too. Let's yeah, we're, we're about, preaching to the choir here, right? Yeah, let's this is an old miss. <laughs> let's talk about everybody's favorite topic, and that's Georgia Tech special teams. We'll go through this real quick. Uh, their kicker, uh, Harrison Butker, uh, three of five on field goals this year with a long of 52, so not a great percentage, but he can't kick the long ones. So if the game's on the line, which it's not going to be, uh, they do have that. Um, I think the bigger story with their special teams is they haven't broken anything big, uh, any big plays on kick returns or punt returns this year. Of course, we know when you're playing Clemson, that's a different story. Although I will say big shout-out to Ammon Lakeup uh, with that huge hit, first game back after suspension. I'm surprised they didn't drug test him right after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, huge props to him, man. That, that kid, you know what, really, really awesome to see that. I know the whole stadium is going crazy and everybody watching at home on TV. 
That was awesome. Well, you know, like, you know, he had a what, three game suspension. He was just working on open field tackling. Most yeah. kickers work on kicking. Right. He's working on open field tackling. Yeah, I went right on that ball. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So, what are we looking for out of this game, um, Cody? I think we're looking for, uh, for one, our defense to be the same disruptive de- the defense that it's, it has been. Uh, we want to see some other guys get reps, even if in just the way, you know, the nature of Georgia Tech's offense. Even if it's not a blowout, we hope it is. Even if it's a, a tight game, we want to see some second-team guys, particularly at linebacker, get some reps, get some experience. We'll need that going forward. Um, and then on offense, I want to see uh, I want to see Deshaun Watson really find his groove. I feel like he's going to get some. He's going to be in a position where he'll have a zone defense. Uh, he'll, he'll get to, you know pinpoint a few receivers, um, and I hope he can have a coming out game. I don't necessarily think that'll happen, but I hope I hope this is this is the game. I think it might because Georgia Tech's defense is, is not that spectacular. Um, I think the play calling needs to be more aggressive. This has been talked about, especially coming out of the Notre Dame game. We can't keep allowing uh, teams to stay in or get back in the game when, when we feel like we're dominating because it, it only takes uh, one lucky bounce or something, or unlucky bounce in our case, for the game to swing. I mean, we beat Louisville by three, and uh, Georgia Tech, or sorry, uh, Notre Dame came down to a stop two point conversion that could have tied the game. So. I understand it was raining. I know the conditions were bad, um, but the play calling needs to get a little bit better. Um, and then, what wide receivers step up? Our our passing game. It's not just Deshaun Watson. I think we need to see some of these young guys and Kane or Thompson really maybe take over in that Mike uh, Williams position and maybe put Peak back uh, to where he truly belongs um, as a wide receiver. Um, on defense, we really need to limit the run on first and second down to avoid uh, third and shorts because, again, that's where Georgia Tech thrives. And, yeah, just being disciplined and uh, sticking to our assignments. And I, I think that's a sign of a very well-coached team. And that's what we have in Burton Venables. No, absolutely. Um, so what do, we, what do you have for your prediction? I've got 34 to 14 Clemson, and I actually think our defense is going to dominate most of the game, and maybe those that that last uh, touchdown actually comes against maybe like a second uh, hybrid, second third team getting some guys in there um, uh, in the fourth quarter. I, I think this is a dominating effort. I haven't seen a lot out of Georgia Tech this year, and we're a battle-tested team, and we're very talented, and we're very good. That's yeah, that's bold. I I hope that's the scenario. That I mean, that's that would be my my best case. Um, I'm going 24-17, uh, similar to uh, just similar to what's what we've seen so far this year. Probably a chance uh, we'll, we'll come out looking like the better better team. Um, be really aggressive on defense, but ultimately um, we'll get conservative in play calling in the second half, and then we win 24-17. And again, ideally, I would like to see us win going away. I don't think I think we could we can get to that point, but I don't think it's going to happen in this game. Yeah, and then Tully, uh, who's not with us today, he has it uh, kind of right in the middle between our predictions. He's got a 35-17 as one comment. He really thinks Artavis Scott shows up in this game. I'm all for that. Well, Artavis Scott shows up in every game. That's an easy prediction. <laughs> it's like saying, I hope Ben Bowler shows up in this game. <laughs> so around the college football, other games uh, going on. So you got... Notre Dame and Navy. What what's your thought there? We are we the biggest Notre Dame fans right now that we can be? I think so. Uh, it's a big question to see how Notre Dame bounces back. At this point, we do need a, a couple wins on our schedule against teams who are highly ranked and look good. 
Yeah, I mean, well, the next one coming up, Miami at number 12, FSU. Yeah, the question here is, uh, does Florida State continue to look mediocre? And I think they probably do. Uh, again, I, don't, I really don't care how they navigate their schedule as long as they lose to us and beat Florida at the end of the year and win every other game. If they win by three, you know, all along the way, that's fine. We still need that to be a really quality win. Yeah, and then looking at the Pac-12, we do have Utah. We have to consider them like that's not, not a big name, but you know. The, yeah, I, I think we need again. I think a one-loss SEC team uh, can make it into the college football playoff. I don't think a one-loss Pac-12 team, if there's other teams that are undefeated, do it. So this is an interesting one. California at Utah. I don't think Cal wins this game, but it's important because we do need them, I think, to lose one. Yeah, my neighbor James upstairs who went to Cal is not going to agree with you. But um, and, then, and then TCU, who play in Kansas State, at Kansas State, they haven't looked great. I mean, the Big 12, I mean, the yeah. Big 12 is such a, I mean, so much offense, so little defense, like you never know week to week. But, I mean, they could they could slip up. This could be a trap game for them. Yeah, it's at Kansas State. Kansas State only has one loss this year. TCU has played some close games. So, again, another opportunity for a team ahead of us to lose. I think we can jump teams by beating uh, uh, teams on our schedule convincingly. But I'd rather, you know, leave the opportunity for an undefeated team to take our place in a, in a playoff out of the way by just getting these losses on their schedule. Yeah, I yeah, totally agree. And then LSU at South Carolina, or actually that's the reverse. I'll let you give your thoughts on this because I, I know you're, you're chomping at the bit here. Well, no matter what, LSU is going to beat South Carolina. Now that the game has moved to Baton Rouge, um, I think Fournette's probably going to run for about 300 yards. Let me ask you this. So South Carolina was shopping around because of the floods. You know, obviously a bad situation uh, for where to be able to play this game. There was a conflict, I think, with uh, in Charlotte with the Panthers because they just reached out of their field. And then obviously we had a home game. But if we had an away game and you were the Clemson Athletic Department, Clemson president, would you have let South Carolina LSU play in Death Valley? Absolutely. I mean, you, I mean, this is like just being a good, you know, upstanding institution. I mean, like, why not? I don't think in any scenario they would ever signed on to do that they would have chosen a high school stadium you know in some of their parts before they went to death valley but yeah i would i I think we would have yeah no i I would too for these two reasons because it would give lsu an opportunity to play in the real death valley (laughs) and south carolina we get to lose in the real death valley twice in a year we didn't mention this earlier south carolina loses missouri last week they're now 0-1 against tigers this year they're going to be 0-2 after this weekend and uh, saturday after thanksgiving they're going to be 0-3 Kind of leaves me uh, hoping that they somehow find a way to make it bowl eligible this year, and they play Memphis, and they go zero four against Tiger teams this year. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pump the brakes a little and just say, hey, it's good to be four zero. Let's get to five and zero. And we had that game in Columbia against uh, a team that has nothing to lose, and the only thing they care about is beating us. So uh, we'll, we'll just um, that's true. They couldn't go into Death Valley this year because we're playing there. Okay, good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> whether or not you knew, you corrected me. Um, let's end on this because everybody's excited about number three Baylor, Kansas. The only reason I bring this up because Kansas is my second alma mater. I went to grad school there. Kansas is a joke of football this year. Uh, number three Baylor, I think, is actually one of the few teams in the country who are 
a completely legit top to bottom offense and for a Big Twelve team defense. Eh, that's debatable. I need to watch film though, so I can't dispute that right now. But I'll say that their offense does look great. It does look like one of the more formidable Baylor teams, and and Kansas. Like, when's basketball season going to start, man? Because I, I give it seventy-seven to three. <laughs> basketball score. <laughs> it, it, it it could be in the eighties for Baylor. Kansas is that bad. Yeah. So any any final thoughts? Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, uh, weather, and South Carolina. Just anything in general. Uh, before, uh, before we wrap up, ninety percent chance of thunderstorms in Clemson this weekend. Come on, man, give us a break. <sighs> Whatever, we'll win. But still, I'd like to see a game in the sunshine. Yeah, I, I don't like ACLs in the rain, man. I like no. I like firm firm footing. So yeah, so that's gonna do it. I hope hope you enjoyed the uh, Georgia Tech uh, preview. Uh, please uh, just know that you can go to our website, clemsonpodcast.com. Uh, there you can subscribe to us there directly from there and be notified every time that we post a link. Um, also, you can find like Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, obviously iTunes, and, and also subscribe to us there. So every time we upload a link or up- upload an uh, episode, you're able to get that immediately. So um, thanks for joining us. As always, go Tigers.